Cleveland Browns can go to hell. I suspected that this was the wrong franchise for Jeff Janis all along, that the Cleveland Browns would not appreciate his ability. And then they went out and cut him before final cuts. Just that final fuck you signaling to everyone in the league, hey, this guy's not going to make it. He can't even make it to final cuts for the Cleveland Browns. This guy's fucked. And it's true. It's true. It's true. It's, it's true. Oh. It's true. It's, it's hard. It's hard because I love Jeff Janis. There's a mural behind me of just Jeff Janis. Jeff Janis as Marilyn Monroe photoshopped into the iconic Andy Warhol Marilyn Monroe artwork series. We have Jeff Janis catching a touchdown in preseason. Jeff Janis doing the Lambo leap in preseason. A lot of, a lot of preseason performances here. And then the catch in the end zone against the Cardinals to win the game on a Hail Mary. A catch that he didn't actually squeeze. It was technically a body catch. <laughs> and he rolled around with the ball until he finally secured it on the ground, giving the defender every opportunity to knock it away. It happened. We had that game. All Jeff Janis truthers had that game. It was one of the greatest sports moments of my lifetime. Nothing compares to the Patriots coming back from 28-3 to against the Falcons in the second half of the Super Bowl. Nothing compares to that. And the Malcolm Butler interception on the one-yard line. Won't compare to that either. Won't compare to the Patriots upsetting the Rams. But, but hey, it's up there. I'm a spoiled Patriots fan. And as a Jeff Janis fan, that moment was up there. And a spoiled Patriots fan tried to pivot to Browns fandom from enjoying a dynasty to hopelessly cheering on a perennial loser. I wanted it all. I wanted it both ways. And it's hard. It's so hard to be a Browns fan. It's so hard. So hard. So, so, so hard. As they release Jeff Janis, punt Corey Coleman, who is also now out of the league. Corey Coleman actually flamed out faster than Jeff Janis. A first-round pick flamed out faster than the seventh-round pick. So in that way, I guess Jeff Janis's career is a win when compared to Corey Coleman's? Grading on a curve. The Cleveland Browns won't start Nick Chubb. The Cleveland Browns hired Todd Haley and Greg Williams to coordinate both units. I'm not looking forward to watching Greg Williams bungle this Browns defense this year, which is loaded with talent, and it will be squandered. But when all these coaches are gone, Hugh Jackson, gone. Greg Williams, gone. Todd Haley, gone. Who will remain? Well, Jarvis Landry, unfortunately. But more importantly, Miles Garrett, Larry Okajobi, Austin Corbett, David Njoku, and Baker Mayfield. Yes, these are the players that will endure. So even though the Browns can go to hell, I'm not giving up. I'm not walking away. Because I think the bottom line with Jeff Janis is that he doesn't have that thing that Keelan Cole has. Keelan Cole is wired in a way that makes him destined to be a great receiver in the league. He lives and breathes football. That's all he wants to do. He doesn't have cable. He doesn't have hobbies. He only plays football, studies football, 24-7 consuming football. Dreams about football only. No wet dreams for Keelan Cole, just football dreams. Although, Keelan Cole could be so obsessed with football that his wet dreams are football dreams. I mean, that would be an epic show title, but we just used Keelan Cole in a show title. The title of this show should absolutely be Keelan Cole Wet Football Dreams. I think it will be. I think we're going to go back-to-back Keelan Cole show titles. Fuck it. I can do whatever I want. 
It's my show. And it's about to get harder to be a Patriots fan as well. So I'm bracing for an exciting year as offenses break records around the league. And the NFL is reestablished as a passing league. Pass attempts up, offensive efficiency up, quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, numbers up across the board. I'm so excited for that. It's why I recently went 0RB in the Friends of Roto World League. Full PPR, start three receivers with a flex. That's the perfect roster and scoring format for 0RB. We'll ask our guest today, Justin Boone from The Score, if and when he implements 0RB in fantasy drafts. So with the 108, I went DeAndre Hopkins, then Keenan Allen, then Amari Cooper, then Chris Hogan. Yeah! Of all the noteworthy transactions around Final Cuts... The most underreported was the Patriots only retaining three receivers and not three starters. Chris Hogan, an established starter, the primary receiver in that receiving core, a field stretcher in Philip Dorsett, and a gadget player in Corderell Patterson. Like, <laughs> what? And then to lay an even better foundation for a mind-bending Chris Hogan target share, they added Amara Darbo who the Seahawks got. The Seahawks opted to retain David Moore over Amara Darbo. So if I were running the Patriots, we would not have picked up Amara Darbo. No. Better off picking up Jeff Janis. You have to think that Nick Casterly, Saginaw Valley State alum, director of player personnel for the Patriots, wanted to put a claim in on Jeff Janis. And others in the organization just shook their head. And he said, okay, I get it. He's a body catcher. (laughs) Okay. Jeff Janis is a body catcher. Jeff Janis does not devote himself to the craft like Keelan Cole does. Keelan Cole wants to be Antonio Brown. If Antonio Brown's heir is in the league right now, his name is Stephon Diggs. But if it's not Stephon Diggs, it's Keelan Cole. Jeff Janis would rather be hunting and fishing, not a football junkie. In order for the seventh rounder to make a career in the NFL, you need to be football obsessed. First rounders can get away with it. First rounders can stay in the league for 10 years without being football obsessed. Or just one partial season with spectacular splash plays. I mean, just ask Kenny Britt. Just ask Dwayne Bowe. But if you're a seventh rounder and all you have is the second half of one playoff game on your resume, you need to be more football obsessed than Jeff Janis was. And there's no way to measure that. That's the je ne sais quoi factor that Keelan Cole has. And there was no way to know until it was all over that Jeff Janis just didn't have that. Aaron Rodgers signaled it to us by insisting that Geronimo Allison be on the field, not Jeff Janis. So that was a clue, I guess. (laughs) Shit! I was blinded! I was blinded by the metrics! Not only the workout metrics, but also the size and the dominator rating. He had everything. So even if you check all the boxes coming out of college, you're not guaranteed to make it in the NFL. In some ways, that's heartening that over time, the NFL is a meritocracy. Year to year, it's a seniorocracy. But over time, in the long run, it is absolutely a meritocracy. Just ask Chris Hogan, who is teed up to lead the league in targets through the first four weeks. I drafted him in the fourth round, full PPR. Then in round five, Marshawn Lynch, because it's Marshawn Lynch. We talked to Dave Cabin about this. Have you forgotten who Marshawn Lynch is? It's not old Marshawn Lynch either. It's Marshawn Lynch with juice. It's Marshawn Lynch with the second highest juke rate of evaded tackles per touch on playerprofiler.com in the league. Round six, Karrion Johnson for max upside. Peyton Barber in round seven to lock in RB2 production in week one. Devin Funches somehow still available in round eight. An ascending number one receiver in a prolific offense is available in round eight after Pierre Garçon is off the board. 
Shame on you, Evan Silva, for drafting Pierre Garçon over Devin Funches. I mean, what is Devin Funches if not a younger Pierre Garçon? I mean, come on! In round nine, Isaiah Crowell, who I drafted after Duke Johnson. I can't believe Isaiah Crowell is going after Duke Johnson. Mike Clay drafted Duke Johnson. That was awkward. Drafting next to Mike Clay for 15 rounds. Woof. In round 10, Ronald Jones! Before he flamed out in week four, I might add. Would not have drafted him had I known he was going to flame out in week four so badly. But to quote Matthew Berry, Matt Kelly does not hate players. He hates ADPs. But I stacked those Tampa Bay running backs, hoping to hit on one. And it looks like I did hit on Peyton Barber. I may drop Ronald Jones before the season. You'll see why in a moment. Because in round 11, Ty Montgomery, satellite back plus on a prolific offense. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. In round 12, Mike Wallace? Mike Wallace after D.D. Westbrook? Mike Wallace is D.D. Westbrook, but on the Eagles instead of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it was Evan Silva, again, who drafted D.D. Westbrook before Mike Wallace. Evan Silva should be ashamed of himself. In round 13, I happen to be on Block Island, not at a computer. So I was the guy in this low draft everyone was waiting for. And when I turned my computer on... There was Boston Scott waiting for me in round 13. Same thing happened in round 14 when I drafted James Conner, who may be the starting running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers in week one. I stole James Conner. James Conner is a must draft. The moment you get into the double digit rounds now, I can't believe this is where we are in early September, that James Conner should be drafted before Ronald Jones. But that's where we are. And if James Conner was never diagnosed with cancer, He would have had a more productive college career than Ronald Jones and likely caught more passes because it's hard to catch less passes than Ronald Jones in college. So I'm going extreme commando style zero RB. Commando style means I draft no quarterback, no tight end, no defense, no kicker. For week one, I'll be picking up Marcus Mariota. He has a great matchup against the Miami Dolphins and he has the most upside of the available quarterbacks. At tight end, I will be picking up Austin Safarian Jenkins because he has the best matchup against the New York Giants who have been, who give up the most fantasy points to opposing tight ends, maybe in league history. I mean, if we look back the last three years, the number of fantasy points that the New York Giants have allowed to tight ends, has there ever been a more tight end friendly defense in the history of the league over a three-year span? Minions, email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com or tweet us at rotounderworld. Has there ever been a more tight end friendly defense than the New York Giants? So Austin Safarian Jenkins has the best matchup with the highest ceiling season long. So if he breaks out in week one, I'll just ride Austin Safarian Jenkins all year. Not sure if this has been shared with any of you all yet, but see Allen Robinson signed with the Bears and Marquise Lee tore his ACL. All the Jaguars have left is Keelan Cole. Evan Silva apparently still thinks D.D. Westbrook can be a primary wide receiver, and he's wrong. It's conceivable that Austin Safarian Jenkins operates as the number two option in that passing game. And have you heard? He's playing the Giants in week one. So I'm picking up all the Austin Safarian Jenkins after drafting only wide receivers and running backs. That's it. We'll figure out the defense, maybe whoever's playing the Bills or the Bengals, because the Bengals are playing the Colts, and the Colts have one of the worst offensive lines. The Cincinnati Bengals upgraded their defensive line, and we don't know if Andrew Luck can throw a football 40 times with the same velocity that he was throwing pre-shoulder injury. In fact, I would bet that he can't do that. 
the Colts will be starting either Kristen Michael or Jordan Wilkins at running back? This sets up perfectly for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I may be streaming the Cincinnati Bengals. And if Marcus Mariota were not available, I would be picking up Andy Dalton, believe it or not, because he's facing the Indianapolis Colts, naturally, who have the league's worst secondary. They're defensive backs starting for Indianapolis that couldn't make other rosters around the league play Andy Dalton in DFS, stream Andy Dalton in seasonal leagues. But my favorite pick of the draft was Chris Hogan in the fourth round, partly because I love the Patriots and partly because I love Chris Hogan's story that the football junkie can persevere and become a star in the league. And I have to believe if Jeff Janis were wired differently that he could have followed a similar path. And I also believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is a football junkie, just like Tony Romo was a football junkie. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be great, but so many of you want to insist that I'm predicting Jimmy Garoppolo to be a bust. I never said that. I said the probability that Jimmy Garoppolo meets or exceeds his ADP fantasy points expectations are lower than someone like Dalvin Cook, especially at the quarterback position. There's no reason to buy the hype. You're much better off buying the post-hype quarterback with better weapons and more mobility in Marcus Mariota. So there's no scenario where I'll be rostering Jimmy Garoppolo in a seasonal league. Just, it's not going to happen. But I can tell you, a day doesn't go by that Bill Belichick does not wish Jimmy Garoppolo were not his quarterback. I don't think Bill Belichick wants Tom Brady as his quarterback anymore. I don't think I would want Tom Brady as his quarterback because as we first reported on the Underworld pod, Tom Brady is Tom Cruise, the greatest of all time in his profession and a total weirdo. Tom Brady is slowly checking out. He was a football junkie, just like Tiger Woods was a golf junkie. But you can't be a football junkie for 20 plus years. Eventually, you get bored and you want a new challenge. Eventually, the obsession wears you down and the sport is not as stimulating as it was 20 years ago. It's simply impossible to maintain the highest level of attention to detail in any profession for the entire length of a career. It's never been done. Michael Jordan had to take two years off and go play baseball in order to recharge. Tiger Woods had to sleep with 500 cocktail waitresses and go tear his ACL training with Navy SEALs that resented him. And now Tom Brady has fallen under the spell of a huckster. Alex Guerrero is a huckster. He's been investigated for huckster activities. And Tom Brady is trying to launch the next Herbalife. Go watch the HBO Real Sports expose of Herbalife. It's a pyramid scheme. Anytime you hear multi-level marketing, 99% of the time, it's a pyramid scheme. Now, what's a pyramid scheme? Well, a pyramid scheme is companies running pyramid schemes typically are selling vapor products that are essentially placebos or grossly overpriced products with margins that don't make business sense. But instead of selling directly to consumers because no consumer would ever buy the junk they're peddling, instead, the pyramid schemer sells the products to underlings, asks entry-level salespeople to take out loans to buy the product, and then they have to sell the product, which is often impossible to sell, to get out from under the loan. They fail and go bankrupt. That's a pyramid scheme. And the TB12 program sounds a lot like Herbalife. These are lifestyle placebos. TB12 for Tom Brady is what Scientology is for Tom Cruise. And as a Patriots fan, this is heartbreaking, but it's also understandable. These lopsided athletes that are so obsessed, that are singularly obsessed with their sport, or in the case of Tom Cruise, singularly obsessed with the job of acting, they're the least street smart individuals in society. We as fans of their work 
overpay these artists so they can live in a bubble, which makes them susceptible to the hucksters. Whoever's running the Church of Scientology at the time, or the Alex Guerrero who wants to start the next Herbalife. Bill Belichick saw this, and the clinical, rational move would have been to trade Tom Brady and hand the keys to the Patriots offense over to Jimmy Garoppolo. A seamless transition in the dynasty. Oh, what I wouldn't do to have Jimmy Garoppolo instead of Tom Brady at this point in their respective careers. I love Jimmy Garoppolo. I want Jimmy Garoppolo to be my quarterback. I think in a vacuum, if I were starting a franchise today, I would absolutely prefer Jimmy Garoppolo over Tom Brady. And it's not even close. If I were the Zeus of the NFL and I could trade Tom Brady for Jimmy Garoppolo right now, I would push the button right now. I'm pushing the button right now. Nothing's happening because I have no power to do anything except cry in front of this microphone for Jeff Janis and Tom Brady's lost innocence. He has been duped and the Patriots are worse off because of it. Tom Brady is a Tom Cruise level weirdo, but he still has another Mission Impossible ready to release in 2018. Tom Brady may be gullible, but Tom Brady is a survivor in the NFL. He's the oldest non-kicker playing. That is impressive. And this is your last chance to get our world-famous draft kit. Fantasy-draftkit.com. Fantasy-draftkit.com. There are drafts happening on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's actually fun to draft with one game already in the books. I did it last year at the FFPC. And when you go to buy our draft kit and you scroll down, you'll notice you can get it for free because our friends at FanDuel have created an offer you can't refuse. I mean, a free draft kit. (laughs) Amazing. FanDuel supports this show. And if you're going to play DFS, I suggest choosing FanDuel. Luckily, they also own Draft. So if you're going to go with the best ball league, you can also play on Draft. And you're supporting a supporter of the Underworld Pod. FanDuel also has another free offering that you need to know about. FanDuel Survivor. It's free to play. Just go to FanDuel.com forward slash campaign dash NFL dash Survivor. Why they have the word campaign in there, I have no idea. I don't run FanDuel. I run PlayerProfiler.com. Everybody loves survivor pools, but your group of friends or your work colleagues may not have a survivor pool. No one wants to administer it. So just go to FanDuel and jump in a free survivor contest and the winner gets, wait for it, (laughs) $250,000. And if you're smart, this week you'll use the Ravens because they're playing the Buffalo Bills, the worst team in the NFL. I'm excited to talk about the Bills with my guest, Justin Boone from The Score. Follow him at Justin Boone on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Justin Boone, the head of fantasy at The Score, his maiden voyage on the Underworld pod. Justin Boone, talk to me. It's exciting to finally be here. I know we tried to do this last season. Schedules didn't line up. It's great to finally get to talk to you. It's been a sad turn of events the last few days, starting with Jeff Janis's release in Cleveland, and then the news that Jarek McKinnon tore his ACL. Although I would note that we weren't drafting Jarek McKinnon in any seasonal league because Jarek McKinnon jumped the shark when he started to creep into the late second round. That happened. I was there. A running back that had never 
proven himself to be a workhorse at the NFL level was being drafted as a bell cow back in the NFL because his head coach is named Shanahan. That was the reason. And when that's the reason, I'm walking away. So Jarek McKinnon tears his ACL. Moving forward in San Francisco, do you prefer Alfred Morris in round six or Matt Breida in round 10? We just went over this on the Score Fantasy Football podcast recently, and where do they find that podcast? You can find that uh, everywhere podcasts are available. Type in The Score and subscribe. All one word. Yep. You can find it on the Score app as well. Uh, you know, we saw we saw last season from Breda that he is a capable running back, and he doesn't need a ton of touches to be successful. He had a couple games down the stretch last year, uh, 12 touches, 13 touches in that range, and he turned it into 80 yards, 100 yards, a touchdown. Everyone is looking at him like he's a smaller back. Make sure you don't say that to his face, though, because he'll correct you like he did with that one reporter when he made it very clear that he is over 200 pounds now after putting on weight in the offseason. He is? He was very clear that he is over 200 pounds now, yeah. Well, how much does he weigh? We have him at 195 on playerprofiler.com. I, I, he didn't specify. He didn't get on the scale in front of them, but he made it very clear. He said, I am over 200 pounds. Brita making a play for that satellite back plus designation on player profiler. I love it. And I also love his burst score. 138.4, 99th percentile. He was one of our athletic deep sleepers last year coming out of Georgia Southern. And coincidentally, that's where Jarek McKinnon played football in college. He was a quarterback at Georgia Southern, but Matt Breida was a running back, and he was a Jim Thorpe Award finalist in his junior year. He came back for his senior year and face-planted. No one knows why he face-planted, but he would have been drafted had he come out a year earlier. Matt Breida's name was well-known in scouting circles around the NFL because he was one of the most explosive running backs coming out of college last year. So why not give that player an opportunity to shine? Why feed Alfred Morris 20 carries? But that's what they're going to do, right? I I don't know that it's going to be 20. I think Morris is going to get at least 50% of the work. The thing now when they name someone the starter and it's, you know, reported that Morris is going to be the starter, it doesn't mean that much, right? We saw Devontae Booker until recently was the starter, but we all knew that it wasn't going to continue. Breda, like you mentioned, Breda, an outstanding athlete, and he's a better pass catcher than Morris. He's not a great receiver, but Breda is better than Morris in that area. Morris's career high is 17 receptions. And that was back when he was getting like 300 touches for the Redskins. Breda caught 21 passes just on limited usage last year. Morris is older. He's going to be 30 in December. He's a two-down guy. And we know that they were prepping to have McKinnon play a big role in the passing game. I don't think that they're just going to throw that out the window completely. So Morris is going to be the banger on early downs. I think Breda is going to work in on some of those early downs and get the majority of the receiving work with you know, probably Kyle Juszczyk's going to get more work than we expected. Not that he's going to be fantasy relevant, but, and when you factor in that Breda is the much cheaper option in drafts, and probably if you're getting him off the waiver wire at this point, if you have to bid fob, if they're still out there, he's going to be the cheaper guy to get there because of all the reports with Morris. So Breda is the guy season long that when we look back, he's going to be the guy that made the bigger fantasy impact. Yeah. You got to get Breda in round 10 four rounds after Alfred Morris, even though he was not impressive in the passing game last year. 58% catch rate was last among qualified running backs, and the 16% drop rate was as bad as any running back last year as well. He also wasn't very elusive. 15% juke rate, number 55 in the NFL. But he was a rookie running back. 
all rookies at all positions struggle, even the running back position, which is the easiest of the positions to get acclimated to at the NFL level. The problem for Alfred Morris is San Francisco does not have an exceptional run-blocking unit. So many fantasy analysts think that Kyle Shanahan is out there blocking people. Oh, the zone run-blocking scheme from Kyle Shanahan. That'll automatically open up holes even if the offensive line isn't talented. That's not how it works. You can't just call a play and expect below average players to execute at a high level. That's not how professional sports work. But you can't tell this to the fantasy analysts that fetishize coaches because that's what they do. And that's why Alfred Morris is rocketing up draft boards when the player to own the best value in that backfield is clearly Matt Breida. And the second best value is Kyle Juszczyk. Because Kyle Juszczyk needs to be projected every week because he's going to command three to five targets in the passing game. And with three to five targets, you can turn that into 10 fantasy points pretty easily in PPR leagues. But I still think of all the backs in that backfield, even Raheem Mostert is on the active roster. He's also very explosive. He's essentially Matt Breida light. You can draft him in the final rounds. I would still go Breida all day. And if we're going to discount Jimmy Garoppolo's performances last year because of the small sample well we also have to give Matt Breda the benefit of the doubt that he's a better catcher he's a better pass catcher and he's more elusive than a small sample of metrics indicated last season less than 150 touches you can't come to definitive conclusions about a player's ability based on 150 touches that's not how you do it and yeah I'm not the biggest Garoppolo guy but Garoppolo once he showed up did make that offense better. They finally had a quarterback that they could at least rely on. I don't think he's going to be as good in fantasy as people think this year, but those numbers that I mentioned before for Breda, they came down the stretch when Garoppolo was under center. So that also gives me some hope. The San Francisco 49ers were number two in the league in running back targets behind only the New Orleans Saints. Now, a lot of those targets came with C.J. Beathard at quarterback, understood. But look at who else is in the receiving game. It's Pierre Garçon, it's Marquise Goodwin, it's Trent Taylor. There are no number one receivers in this passing game. And George Kittle is hurt. So targets are going to funnel to Breda and Juszczyk, especially in week one. So all the more reason to draft Matt Breda. Now, Nick Foles had a dreadful preseason, but he will start week one. Does that impact how you're projecting Aguilar, Ertz, and Wallace? The fact that they'll be receiving passes from Foles instead of Wentz? I mean, how bad was Foles in the preseason? He, I mean, he was really bad. I only mention this because he was unspeakably awful. I agree with you. He, he looked like a guy that enjoyed his Super Bowl MVP a little bit too much, maybe. Too many trips to Disneyland or something like that. For fantasy, though, it doesn't worry me all that much. With Jeffrey out, Aguilar sneaks into the conversation as a low-end wide receiver two, uh, high-end wide receiver three at worst. Definitely a top 30 guy, though. Wallace is a guy that I don't think is getting enough attention from people out there. People are acting like he's old and he's washed, but he had 70 yards or a touchdown in six of his last eight games for the Ravens last season. I still think he's got something in the tank here. And with Jeffrey out, he becomes an intriguing flex play and we could see him. We know what he can do downfield. He catches a deep ball or two. He could have a really big fantasy day to start the year here. And if Wentz misses more than just this week, which is possible at this point. It is possible. Very possible. Yeah, the matchups get a little easier, though. The, the first matchup here against the Falcons, that's a tough one. But after that, they get the Bucks, the Colts the next two weeks. Uh, those guys are on deck. So I'm not that worried, even though Foles 
didn't look great in the preseason. I think when the, the lights come on for the regular season, I think he'll do enough to keep everyone's value up in fantasy. You need to draft Mike Wallace just for weeks two and three against the Colts and the box. That's it. How do you know Mike Wallace still has juice? Do you know, Justin? Do you know how you know? How, how is that? He's on the team. Kenny Britt is not on the team. New England wanted to find out if Kenny Britt had juice, and they found out the answer is no. The Philadelphia Eagles wanted to find out if Mike Wallace still has juice, and he wasn't released, which means he's going to be good when targeted. That's what that means, actually, because it's not in a team's best interest to roster washed players at age 32. You're much better off giving opportunities to young players. No team wants to cut young receivers. I mean, look at the Packers. They're going to put seven receivers on their active roster because they can't justify releasing any of them. So I'm sure the Philadelphia Eagles would have been happy to release Mike Wallace and move on with a Mac Hollins, for example. But they found out, oh, wait, oh, 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 The guy that runs a 4-3-3 with a 132.5 93rd percentile burst score still has it. And he hasn't enjoyed above average quarterback play since Ben Roethlisberger. So you draft Mike Wallace for weeks two and three just to see what Mike Wallace looks like with above average quarterback play, which is what Nick Foles should deliver based on what I saw in the playoffs, but not the preseason. I mean, if we're dismissing Nick Foles preseason atrocities, what about preseason do you pay most attention to? For me, I'm looking at usage. There are some players that pop off in the preseason and need to be taken notice. I really like looking at rookies in the preseason because that's the first chance. You know, we do projections right after the draft when guys go to teams. But until you see them on the field in OTAs and especially in the preseason, you don't know how their game is going to translate. We can speculate. But once they get on the field in those preseason games, you have a much better idea of what they're going to be able to bring into the pros. How do you think Ronald Jones' game is going to translate? Yikes. That's, I mean, I don't know that we need to say much more than that. <laughs> oh, no, Ronald Jones! I feel, I feel oh. bad because, you know, th- these are young guys, and it's, it's rough to just completely write them off this quickly, at the, right at the beginning of their careers. But he's a guy I'm not oh. drafting anywhere. He's a guy who, it's very clear, obviously, that Peyton Barber is the starter there now. But I think if I'm going to handcuff Barber, I'm probably going to go get Jaquiz Rogers at this point. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Rodgers was playing above Jones in the preseason at times. In my mind, in when I go into fantasy drafts, in, in bold caps, I have do not draft Ronald Jones. And I have ended up with him on no teams. I don't see him making an impact as a rookie. And like I said, I hate to... I hate to make a proclamation like this for a player that's so young. But like I said, sometimes when these guys get on the field, you see that they have it. I remember years back when Chris Johnson got on the field. Immediately it was, wow, who is this guy? Look at his skills. Faster than everybody on the field. When Ronald Jones got out there, first of all, we didn't expect that he was going to be able to do much as a receiver. When he got out there as a runner, he looked awful. Lost. In the one preseason game, he had 10 rushes for four yards, and he had a five-yard long rush during that game. So how is that even possible? He had nine rushes for negative one yards. It's really unfortunate to see. I think the Bucks wasted a pick, and I think if fantasy owners take Jones, they're going to have wasted a pick as well. Ronald Jones is a bust. Peyton Barber is not a bust. Where should Peyton Barber be drafted in seasonal leagues? I'm willing to take Barber 
in the sixth. Uh, you know, I, part of the issue with that is with him on that team. I don't love that offense, especially early in the year with Fitzpatrick. In my fantasy strength, uh, strength the schedule matrix, the Bucks are 28th for running backs. So one of the most difficult slates this year. If someone wanted to reach into the fifth to grab Barber, I wouldn't have too much of a problem with it. I just worry at the beginning of the year, it's going to be a bit of a slow start, I think, with Fitzpatrick under center. And, you know, once Jameis gets back, I do think that offense is going to be able to come around. But it, it's hard for me to go much higher than that for a player of Barber's talent. We're not talking about a guy with elite skills. We're just talking about a guy with immense opportunity here, which we know is very important for running backs. But I like investing in players that have the talent. That's why when we're talking about Morris versus Breda, I want to go with the player I feel is more talented in Breda. In this case, I don't think Barber has that much talent. I think he just has a very good opportunity. So for, I'm not doing it much this year, but for anyone who's going zero RB, Barber is definitely a guy you should look at. The talent differential between Barber and Rodgers and Jones is still a chasm, not because Peyton Barber is immensely talented. It's just because Jaquiz Rogers and Ronald Jones right now project to be sub-replacement level backs. Tampa Bay should have found a way to get Mike Gillisley. He would have been an upgrade over both of those players. Or Wendell Smallwood. I mean, at this point, Wendell Smallwood, having made the Philadelphia Eagles one of the best offenses in the league, does he even usurp Ronald Jones in fantasy football? I mean, unbelievably? <laughs> yes. This is unbelievable. Wendell Smallwood is a better <laughs> bet than Ronald Jones. <laughs> I mean, I said that kind of hesitantly. No, there would need to be a crushing amount of injuries in that Eagles backfield before I would consider Smallwood and fantasy. He made the team, man. I know. We need like a Ajayi and Clement and Sproles would need to go to the same restaurant and get food poisoning or something like that to happen before we could even talk about Smallwood. At that point, then I'll come back and we could talk about Smallwood. But yeah, I don't. That's how bad it is for Ronald Jones. Like you said, it's more about how bad he's looked and how much his game just does not seem to translate to the pros. Versus some of these other guys, Smallwood didn't look terrible in the preseason. He's playing on a much better team and a much better offense. Yeah, he now has the experience. He's no longer a rookie, and he's operating on one of these prolific offenses. And in Dynasty, when I'm stashing players on a taxi squad, for example, I'm going to playerprofiler.com forward slash depth dash charts, looking at these prolific offenses and stashing whoever is on the back of the roster. And that's Wendell Smallwood. I made one of those moves the other day. You tell me if I'm crazy or if I'm just being biased based on his name, but I went out and picked up Mike Boone for the Vikings. Bam. That's exactly what you need to be doing. I was worried that I was doing it just based on his name, that I was so, you know, enticed by that. Mike Boone is this year's Wendell Smallwood, but he actually has a better chance of hitting because he's actually more athletic than Wendell Smallwood. Mike Boone is Wendell Smallwood. I mean, he really is. If you think about the preseason hype surrounding Wendell Smallwood in his rookie year, I mean, it, and, and you look at his athletic profile, I mean, these two players mirror one another. Now, what about the receiving core in Philadelphia? The number three receiver to start the season is Mac Hollins, right? Yes, but Hollins is hurt, and it it came out uh, it came out that he's not going to play on Thursday. So, unfortunately, that puts him that puts him out of the mix here early in the season, at least in week one. On paper, I think it means it's Shelton Gibson, but not someone that I think we should even consider. I think in reality, I think Dallas Goddard's probably going to be the guy who's going to step in there and see a little bit more work than normal. 
Yes, this is where I was leading you. Yes, 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 Justin. Yes, yes. Say it. Say it. I want you to say it. Say the personnel package. Say it. <laughs> they are going to play 12 personnel a lot. 12 personnel. Oh, 12 personnel. I love it. When an analyst says 12 personnel and the tight end on the field in 12 personnel is Dallas Goddard. By far and away, the most talented tight end in the draft this season. We were really robbed of having another great fantasy tight end here when the Eagles took him. He ended up behind Ertz who is a great player in his own right, and he's not going anywhere. But if if Goddard had gone to a team, if you saw the way he looked in the preseason, if he had gone to one of these tight end needy teams, like, you know, Baltimore, obviously they addressed the position in the draft too, but they're a team that loves to throw to the tight end. If he had gone there, I might have him at my low tight end one rankings at this point. He looked that good in the preseason. He's so good. Yeah, he's my highest owned tight end in Dynasty. Easily by far and away. Mike Gusecki won the combine. But Dallas Goddard flew under the radar because he didn't attend the combine. He was hurt. All we had to go on with Dallas Goddard was prolific production at the college level. A tight end with over a thousand yard seasons on his resume. I mean, and then it, and then in his pro day, he excelled in the athleticism drills. So it's wheels up for Dallas Goddard, and we might see him on the field a lot. I think Dallas Goddard's going to catch a touchdown in the first week. I do. Definitely possible. I think one of the things with all this Eagles talk that has to be taken into consideration is I have a lot of faith in that coaching staff. There's a few coaching staffs around the league that we can trust to put players in the right positions. And I think they're one of them. We saw it with Aguilar. They moved him to the slot. That's where he really excelled last year. I think they're going to put all these guys in the right positions. And I think early in the season, they saw what we saw. They saw that Foles isn't as sharp maybe as he was late in the season last year. I think they're going to play that 12 personnel. I think they're going to lean on the running game a little more. I still think they're going to be very successful early in the year. And I think Goddard's going to be there when they get to that red zone. I like your call that he's going to score a touchdown this week. Jeremy Hill could score a touchdown. His coach puts players in the right positions to succeed. Better bet to be fantasy relevant this season. Jeremy Hill or Mike Gillisley? I I don't want to bash Mike Gillisley. But I'm not as excited about Mike Gillisley as a lot of people seem to be here. He just signed with the team. Are we confident he's even going to be there next week, let alone for this whole first month while Ingram's out? You know, Gillisley's done some things. We, we saw last year he had that big touchdown game to start the year. He has that ability, especially at the goal line. Jeremy Hill, if I'm picking between the two, I'm still taking Jeremy Hill. We've seen him be fantasy relevant for long stretches before. You know, he has two players ahead of him, both players that I I like a lot in Burkett and Michelle, but they've already dealt with injuries in the preseason, so that's not a great sign. Um, And if they go down, if one of them even goes down, Hill's going to start to get work there. And he had a full offseason here to learn the offense, to get acclimated. That's the key. That's the key. He's an incumbent. Mike Gillisley has to learn the playbook. That's the difference. And, you know, as much as I, you know, hate to bring him up, I thought Jonathan Williams was going to be the guy with the Saints mm-hmm. who was going to be that Mark Ingram replacement over the first month of the season. And obviously he's not with the team anymore. But he's another guy that we've seen bounce around from team to team. He's a guy when he was with the Bills, we saw some talent. We thought he was going to be able to do something. He's now been on a couple teams. He's had, you know, trouble sticking around in one spot. You wonder if it's going to be the same with Gillisley, another former Bill who hasn't really caught on anywhere, who hasn't had that success that maybe we expected from him in his next spot. 
So I, I think there's no guarantees with Gillisley whatsoever. Uh, I think Boston Scott has a chance to be just as involved, if not more involved, especially in week one with Gillisley just showing up. So I see Gillisley as an extreme long shot. And though I do, like I said about Jonathan Williams, I admit that my ability to forecast that Mark Ingram replacement, it might not be the best since I thought it was going to be Williams. You need to draft Boston Scott at the end of your draft because Alvin Kamara has never been a bell cow back. Even going back to his time at Tennessee, he was a satellite back. He could not usurp Jalen Hurd at Tennessee. So, and he was never a prolific runner. So that means Boston Scott is going to get touches in that offense. If they move Alvin Kamara into the Mark Ingram role and give him some of his own Alvin Kamara touches from last season, that leaves a 30% opportunity share for Boston Scott. And a 30% opportunity share in that Saints offense tethered to Drew Brees is the best possible situation for a running back to exceed efficiency expectations. So especially week one, it's Boston Scott season S-Z-N. And by season, I mean week one. Is it possible that what we were hoping for from Jonathan Williams in New Orleans can be delivered by James Conner this week in Pittsburgh? I just drafted James Conner in a very shallow league. Was that a smart move? I think it definitely was. I've been trying to scoop up Conner and even Jalen Samuels anywhere I can, anywhere I have roster spots this year in the offseason where I can throw them at the bottom of my bench. I've been doing it. Uh, by the time people are listening to this, it's very possible Le'Veon Bell is already back with the team. Yes, yes. We need to make this caveat clear to everyone. Thank you for the caveat. I appreciate that. For all the buzzards complaining that podcasts are released a day or two after news breaks, they are recorded in advance and then produced. In case you didn't know, I also run playerprofiler.com, have a lot of responsibilities, and do not spend 24 hours a day producing podcasts. I do my best. So in the next 24 hours, Le'Veon Bell could sign with the Steelers. Fine. If he doesn't, where should he be drafted? Well, I think even if he does, we need to question what Bell's week one usage is going to be. Oh, oh. Because if he reports this late, remember last year he reported on Labor Day and he saw 13 touches for 48 yards, didn't score during the first week. So if you're buying Connor, there's so many doors here to potential fantasy value at the beginning of the season and beyond. Obviously, if Bell doesn't show up, you're getting a potential league winning RB1. I think we could say that about Connor. He looked that good. I mean, this is crazy, right? Like, maybe he just decides to retire. I don't like football anymore. It's possible. Stranger things have happened. We've seen most of these situations sort themselves out before the season with all these different guys, with Mac getting traded and Aaron Donald getting his money. But, you know, anything could happen here with Bell. If he does show up, depending how late in the week it is, he might get limited touches in week one. And that would make Connor, a, you know, a potential flex play, RB2 play. And if Bell shows up here as well, he's, you know, at a higher chance of an injury now without, you know, with having not reported to the team. That's also a concern. And if he goes down, boom, you have Connor. He's there. Like I said, potential RB1 whenever he's going to get starts there. And the thing, the reason I mentioned Samuels before is there are leagues out there where Samuels is tight end eligible. So what? What? No. We have, yes. On Yahoo, on Yahoo, Jalen Samuels is a running back and a tight end. And if it happened where we saw a ton of injuries in this backfield, if Bell doesn't report and Connor goes down, if you could have a starting running back in your tight end spot, I don't think we've ever seen that before. 
that's just something to keep in mind as the season goes on here. A guy to have on your watch list. Click that little star next to his name just so that you have it. And, you know, we'll see what happens down the road. By the way, I remember receiving criticism for classifying Jalen Samuels as a running back during the NFL scouting combine when he was participating with the tight end group. And my answer was, he's not a tight end. He's a running back. Just wait. He's a running back. Just wait. He's a running back. Just wait. And today, what is he? He's a running back. And he is their, their very clear number three running back. They, they played him as such. They cut a bunch of those other guys that were there that had been there a little bit longer. And I think right now, like not just Samuels, but we're talking about Connor as a guy who could step in and all of a sudden be an RB1 if an injury happens to his starter. There's a lot of talented running backs, young, talented running backs around the league. Guys like John Kelly, Chase Edmonds. These got all people you need to know and maybe even roster. If they had landed in different situations, some of these guys could be starters. Some of these guys could be people you drafted in the first six or seven rounds this year. Unfortunately, ended up on teams where there were stars ahead of them. Uh, Scott might deserve to be on that list. If we see Kamara go down, it is possible that Scott could step into that role and give us, you know, 70, 80 percent of what Kamara did last year, which would still be very, very valuable in fantasy. The two best pure handcuffs right now are Chase Edmonds and Rod Smith in the NFL. And throughout the summer, LaShawn McCoy has been discounted in fantasy drafts because of the known known of his risk factors. Just go to TMZ and you can see for yourself. But we also knew Le'Veon Bell was poised for a holdout, and yet he was being drafted at the 101 in many leagues. Fantasy gamers are famously fickle about who they will discount and for what reasons. Is it time to buy LaShawn McCoy in all formats based on how his stock has fallen? Hell no. McCoy, I've said this all offseason long, and I told you before we started recording here, I am a Bills fan, so take that into account. But McCoy has just about every red flag that you could possibly have going into the season here, does he not? That's right. If you were making a list of risk factors, he checks all those boxes. And the worst of all is the one that no one talks about, which is the offensive line. He has nowhere to run. At least in years past, he could run off tackle. He has nowhere to go. Off-field issues, you know, it seems like he's not going to get suspended at the start of the year. But, you know, that's lingering. Who knows what's going to happen there? He could be suspended at any moment for life. Even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't come that he gets suspended, you know, like you mentioned, offensive line is horrific. He lost the entire left side of that line, which I think was the strength of that offense. When that running game was going really well, yes, McCoy is extremely talented, but it was the left side of that line that was dominating and allowing him to put up those big seasons unproven quarterback situation it looks like they're going to start peterman now eventually going to go to allen can't be excited about either of those guys this year the receivers aren't going to be able to keep defenses off the line and mccoy's 30 years old so he's getting to the end of the road here and when the eagles let him go when they made that trade yet another risk factor (laughs) When the Eagles made that trade a couple years back, they had assessed that he was only going to have another year or two of value. Guess what? We're at that point now. With all these other factors, I'm letting somebody else deal with the headache. And based on where I have him ranked, I doubt anyone who follows me is going to end up with McCoy either. LaShawn McCoy has reached his expiration date, but not Nathan Peterman. It's go time 
for Nathan Peterman. As a Bills fan, are you ready for this Nathan Peterman experience? I I have to admit right off the top here that in the Fantasy Pros Dynasty Invitational League. Bam. You took him. You drafted him. You drafted him. It's a super flex league. I did not draft him. I did not draft him. Oh, what? But I am a desperate Jameis Winston owner, and I did pick him up recently. Nice. He was on the waiver wire, and that's— Yes. You know, everyone was definitely too harsh on him in that five-interception game. The the coaching staff put him in a terrible spot. He was a rookie. You know, they shouldn't have done that. We know that now. We knew it at the time, really. But we saw him in the preseason perform a little bit better. I just don't think anyone in Buffalo is going to be able to do much behind that offensive line. You know, Josh Allen— in his, I think it was week three of the preseason, he was sacked five times in the first half. <laughs> Listen, man, I, it's bad, but that's also Josh Allen. If there's a problem with your offense, the presence of Josh Allen will only exacerbate it. Well, and it's also going to be pretty tough when they go against the Ravens, the Chargers, and the Vikings, their first three games of the year. <laughs> Welcome back to the NFL, Nathan Peterman. <laughs> This poor guy. Yeah, they sacrificed him last year, and I think that's what's going to happen again. They're just going to put him out there so that Allen doesn't get shell-shocked in the first three weeks of the year. They're going to let Peterman just be the, the sacrificial guy. I love how the Bills think of Josh Allen as Russell Crowe and Gladiator, and Nathan Peterman is just the first guy out of the tunnel <laughs> that runs right into a lion. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bad situation all around. You know, McCoy is the guy there that is the, you know, the most enticing fantasy value. And that's the that's unbelievably sad. That's awful about that Bills offense that McCoy is the guy that I'm telling you right now, don't go out and get him in any draft. And yet he's still the best fantasy asset there. It's just a bad situation. Earlier in the offseason, I wrote uh, an article looking at three offenses that you should completely avoid in fantasy. And the Bills were the top of that list. I'm ready for the LaShawn McCoy tilt where he goes down at the one-yard line and it's a fade in the back of the end zone to Andre Holmes. Are you ready for this? I mean, Peterman to Holmes <laughs> to get the touchdown. Are you ready? That's Yeah, Bills fans get excited. It could happen in Jacksonville where you have Leonard Fournette going down to the one-yard line and then touchdown Austin Safarian Jenkins. Is there a better week one streamer than Austin Safarian Jenkins against the Giants? There isn't, but it has a lot more to do with his opponent than it has to do with Jenkins, I think. The, we, the Giants have been atrocious against tight ends the last few years. Last year, it was comical how bad that they continued to be. They allowed at least one touchdown per week to tight ends in 10 straight games. <laughs> as a ranker, I mean, I can, as a ranker, I appreciate that because it makes my life awfully easy. It, they've added a couple new pieces on that defense, but I'm willing to bet that that trend is going to continue. And, you know, with the uncertainty at receiver, I, I particularly like Keelan Cole, but outside of Keelan Cole, we don't have Thank that you. much. You're Team Cole. You're Team Cole. I am Team Cole, extreme Team Cole. I liked Cole before the injury happened, and now I oh. very much like him. Team Cole all the way. With the questions on that receiving core, you know, it's very plausible that Safarian Jenkins catches a touchdown and is a, a red zone threat here early in the season. So you think that Keelan Cole is the wide receiver to own in Jacksonville? I don't even think it's it's close, to be honest. I, I, I liked Lee. I know some people were really down on Lee. I liked Lee as well. I thought both those guys were going to be the clear top two there. 
but Cole, he had an outstanding rookie season from week seven on last year. He was the wide receiver 19 in standard leagues and the wide receiver 24 in PPR leagues. Does any, like, I don't feel like anyone recognized that before this injury happened. I was kind of sad when the injury happened. You never want to see anyone get hurt, but when that took place. Well, who's this Keelan Cole guy? Oh, he's the next man up. I need to learn more about him. Let me type in playerprofiler.com. Keelan Cole. <laughs> Holy cow! 60% college dominator while running a 4.640. How is that possible? Oh, I'll tell you how it's possible. He's phenomenal at taking advantage of every crease and crevice on the football field, getting leverage on defenders. He reminds me of Antonio Brown. That is high praise. That is very high praise. Perhaps too high praise. I have only compared one other receiver to Antonio Brown in my history in this business, and that was Stephon Diggs. All right, I can accept that. After Antonio Brown Jr., who's next? Is it Didi Westbrook? Is it Dante Moncrief? There's a big gap here, I think. Moncrief would be the next guy. You know what? I don't care. I just want that to be established. Yeah. That's the most important thing to be established, that there is a chasm between Keelan Cole, the entrenched number one option in this passing game, and everyone else. If anyone has an opportunity to replicate that 1,400-yard season from Allen Robinson in 2015, it's Keelan Cole. He's not just the safe play because he's guaranteed to get the targets. He offers the best of both worlds. Because he's a possession receiver that delivers splash plays, he has both a high floor and a high ceiling. Yeah, and Moncrief, some people might remember him from his time with the Colts. He caught some touchdowns from Andrew Luck. He was a a half-decent red zone threat during that time. But I haven't seen anything that suggests that he's going to be a serviceable option. And we know they are going to run a lot, but we've seen Cole get the usage before. Sometimes when receivers come over from new teams, they struggle a little bit early on. Moncrief wasn't going to start. He's going to see the biggest bump in snaps from this, but I don't think that the production is going to come with it. One of the easiest cheat codes in fantasy football is to avoid any wide receiver tagged with the touchdown monster designation. That's Dante Moncrief. First, it was Dante Moncrief. Then it was Josh Doxson. Then Mike Williams. Stay away from the one-dimensional touchdown scorers at the wide receiver position. You would agree. Tyrell Williams is a better bet than Mike Williams this year. I absolutely agree with that, though I will say, be nice to my guy Josh Doxson. I am still holding out hope there. I can't quit Josh Doxson. I think Mm -hmm. there's still a chance. Mm There's a chance. There's absolutely a chance. I mean, these guys are tantalizing. The enthusiasm is justified around these players because they do have these double-digit touchdown seasons in their range of outcomes. It's just that the probability is so slight. Well, I'm very curious to see what Alex Smith looks like with the Redskins because last year, everyone looks at him and thinks, okay, he's the safe game manager. Last year, he was great. Last year, he was one of the best, if oh, not yeah. the best, at throwing the deep ball. I'm pretty sure Pro Football Focus put out a stat that showed that he was one of the best at that. And I think that there's a chance that he puts Doxon to good use, that he is willing to throw it up to Doxon. I think Doxon has that touchdown upside. He had uh, 16, I believe, red zone targets last year. They talked about trying to get him the ball even more there. We'll see if that happens. I think he still has a chance, and when you're looking at that Redskins receiving core, I'm not that excited about Jamison Crowder. I think he's kind of a boring fantasy pick to me, so if I'm going to invest, I'm still going to invest in Doxon. Deep down, Justin, 
deep down, if you close your eyes, clear your mind, go deep, you know you're wrong. Don't do it. Don't make me quit him. Don't. He will stay on my dynasty roster forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. You know, down deep, you know it's wrong. You know it. It's, it. We know it. Some players are just so hard to quit, man. You know, we get emotional. We all have it. Even the most clinical, rational fantasy rankers, and you're one of the best on fantasy pros, allow emotion to affect their perceptions of players. Why? Because we're human beings, for Christ's sake. No matter what the math says, there are still some guys that even we as the analysts have to hold our hats on, and he is a guy for me, for sure. Yeah, and my problem is Alex Smith, because I believe Alex Smith had the Mission Impossible season last year, where he wasn't Alex Smith. Looked like Brett Favre out there. And at the end of the season, he ripped his face off. And it's like, oh, there's Alex Smith! Oh, how did he do that? Nobody knows. But in Washington, it's now Alex Smith with his own face. And Alex Smith without that Brett Favre face doesn't excite me. And when I think about the Alex Smith game, I think about one after another, after another, after another, target headed in Jamison Crowder's direction. And you know I'm right. Down deep, you know I'm right. Well, we're looking at when it's week six and Jordan Reed is hurt and on IR and Adrian Peterson is either hurt or no longer on the roster, like what happened with the Saints. I think Doxon is going to still be that red zone threat. And I, I think we're going to see him. This is going to be the year. We'll see how high he can go here. But this is going to be the year. This is going to be his career year. You're dead wrong. <laughs> <laughs> While I love wide receivers, we can't only focus on wide receivers for the entire show. So I believe some misunderstand the Washington passing game this year, and it's not going to be what Alex Smith had in Kansas City. But when you look at running games, what's the most misunderstood running game in the league? Where fantasy gamers think they're getting one thing, but you think they're going to get something else. I, I think it's probably the Lions. It's a backfield that I wanted to invest in in the offseason, and that was primarily based on their offensive line, even before uh, they drafted Carry On and cue the music, I suppose, there. But, you know, even before they drafted him, that offensive line is much improved. Uh, they're healthy. I think that they were going to, with the new coaching staff, be able to establish the run finally there. Carrion comes in. I thought they were going to give him the lead back job. It seems like fantasy owners agreed with me. He's going off the board in the fifth round, but I think it's going to take a little bit of time. His usage in the preseason was all over the place, unless we're looking at a you know a situation like the Bears had last year where they sort of hid Tariq Cohen in the preseason and then busted him out in, in the first few weeks of the year. Um, I think we're looking at a committee backfield here, and I think people are not realizing how valuable LeGarrette Blunt could be early in the season. He's a 31-year-old back. This is going to be the time where he's the most fresh in the year, and I think we know that he can put up touchdowns. We know what a force he can be around the goal line, and Matt Patricia saw that when Patricia was the defensive coordinator with the Patriots. He got to see front row center that what Blunt can do around that area of the field. And when we're looking at the matchup with the Jets this week, that's a very winnable game for the Lions. So I think LeGarrette Blunt is a, an intriguing sleeper early in the season. Karrion Johnson's the long play. Exactly. You got to play the long game with him if you draft him in the sixth round. I have no problem drafting him in the sixth round in a zero RB draft where you're drafting players like Marshawn Lynch and James Conner and Peyton Barber that can help you in week one, knowing you have Kerryon Johnson coming off the bench, and at any point in the season, he could pop and just become the guy. So I like drafting Kerryon Johnson, 
but not in the fifth round. So I think Kerryon Johnson is properly rated by fantasy gamers. Who's the most overrated running back? Because we talked about Ronald Jones. He's over. Everyone's on to Ronald Jones. They know he's terrible. Who have fantasy gamers yet to fully understand isn't good? Well, I don't want to have him in the same sentence as Ronald Jones here. We're not talking about that level of disappointment, but... Derrick Henry is my call here. Uh, everybody keeps waiting for that breakout season to happen, and it just hasn't come. I almost feel bad for people at this point. It, it seemed like you know last year was the year the torch is going to be passed, and you know Murray's going to pass it along to Henry. And then it became, okay, well, in 2018, though, that'll be the season. Murray will be gone. <laughs> and that's going to be the year. Oh, no. And then they go out and get Deion Lewis, who is actually a good running back. And I think Henry is potentially in a worse situation than he was last year because Murray was washed last season. Lewis is not. Lewis could get hurt, but when he's healthy, he's going to be out there and he's going to make a big impact on that offense. He's coming off that RB1 season with the Patriots, far more dynamic than Henry. And in that offense, even if Henry is the quote unquote starter, which is what they're referring to him as now, Lewis, I think, is going to out snap him this year based on his receiving usage. Uh, I, you know, I kept Henry in one league and that was just based on the value that I was keeping him at. He's not on any of my other rosters. Uh, I think people should be considering trading uh, him away at this point before the season when he maybe gets exposed here. He's a sell high candidate. Absolutely. Why? Because he doesn't catch passes. I don't own Derrick Henry in any league, dynasty included, because I avoid running backs who can't catch. It's a very easy rule of thumb. Running backs that can't catch are largely overvalued unless you're talking about a James Conner or a LeGarrette Blunt in the later rounds. At a similar ADP, give me Royce Freeman in Denver all day over Derrick Henry because I think Royce Freeman has a more versatile skill set and less competition for touches in Denver. You agree? Yeah, I, I want to commend the Broncos coaching staff for coming out and saying that Freeman is going to be the starter here. Yeah, for fantasy gamers, right? For those of us working on rankings, thank you, Denver. I appreciate you. If they had entered the season with Devontae Booker as the starter, even if it was just a name, it would have been infuriating. Yes, yes, you're right. So now we can be a little more confident in Freeman. Um, he's going to see plenty of work. Just based on his abilities, we, we could expect that that was going to happen, but now we can be a little more confident in it. The only worry that I have with Freeman, and I do like him, I like him more than Henry here, uh, the only worry that I have is he's another guy who's not going to see that much usage in the passing game. I think Booker's going to be involved there. I also think that Philip Lindsay's going to see some touches in that area. He looked very explosive. He is explosive. Philip Lindsay posted over 40 receptions at Colorado, and he was a workhorse. He was very much like Deion Lewis, an undersized workhorse. Did you see the picture of Derrick Henry standing next to Deion Lewis? They didn't even look like they were of the same species. And it's that kind of thing that will change people's perceptions. They'll look at that picture and, oh my God, I have to draft Derrick Henry. He's a monster. But I still think Lewis is the better back there. On our depth charts, we classify running backs as satellite backs or all-purpose backs, grinders, and Deion Lewis is the smallest back that we classify as an all-purpose running back because that's what he is. He was a bell cow back in New England, and there is a difference between a workhorse back and a bell cow back. James Conner can be a workhorse, but he's not active in the passing game. So if you're absorbing a 70% opportunity share and 90% of the carries, you're a workhorse. But in order for me to classify you as a bell cow, to upgrade to bell cow status, 
you need to command 90% of the running back opportunities and dominate the running back targets. That's Le'Veon Bell when he's actually playing. And the next Le'Veon Bell is Royce Freeman because you watch Royce Freeman score a touchdown in preseason. Oh, that running lane was so wide, I could have driven a truck through there. Anyone could have scored a touchdown on that play. But then when you watch it in slow motion, you see the vision, the subtle lateral quickness, and then the explosion to get through the hole and accelerate past defenders that thought they had an angle. Royce Freeman, like Le'Veon Bell, makes it look easy. And still, fantasy gamers are discounting him for that very reason. Because he's not hurtling defenders and he doesn't look like Saquon Barkley. Well, take advantage of that. Royce Freeman is a much better value. Now, if you had to overpay for a wide receiver, just chasing upside, would it be Kenny Galladay or would it be Chris Godwin? Oh, it's Godwin. It's Godwin all the way. One of my bold predictions, I did a recent bold predictions article, and my bold prediction was that, and I don't even think it's that bold, to be honest. I know other people felt that way, but Godwin is going to outscore Mike Evans this year. That was the prediction. Yes! What? I really think that's possible in fantasy. Stop it! Stop it! Godwin had over 200 yards and a touchdown over his final two games last year. He immediately, when he showed up in the pros, we talked about it before, some guys just have it. He showed up and looked ready. He looked ready to play. If you're starting a franchise today, you're going to take Chris Godwin over Mike Evans, correct? I'd have to think about it, but yes, I, I believe that I would. What we're seeing on the field right now, and and that's important, you have to distinguish what we're actually seeing on the field right now from the stats or from what Mike Evans has done for you in the past on your fantasy team. Some people might have really fond memories of, you know, big seasons. (laughs) We're killing Mike Evans advocates, and I love it. This has been my hobby horse topic the last month, destroying Mike Evans. (laughs) and the Mike Evans enthusiasts are infuriated and we're just continuing this trend. I love agitating members of the audience. And if you love Mike Evans, I'm sorry, but you are in for a world of sadness over the next few weeks as you have to come to terms with the fact that he's not even the best wide receiver on his own team. Is it also possible that Tyler Lockett outscores Doug Baldwin this year? I mean, it is, but if that happens, I think that would just be based on the injury. We don't totally know how it's going to affect Baldwin. There's a chance that he's going to come out and he'll be able to play through it. You know, it's definitely worrisome. We saw his ADP fall. I still like Baldwin, though. I think he's going to be able to play through it for the most part, and I think they need him to, and I think that's the reason why he's not getting surgery, why they, you know, they got him ready for the preseason, or they got him ready for the regular season, and, you know, so the injury would be the factor, but Lockett has an injury history of his own here. The offensive line also Mm. still has some issues. I think they're better than people maybe think. I, I, you know, when it comes to a guy like Lockett, though, and you're looking for those deep plays downfield— Russell Wilson's going to need time to find him downfield or he's going to start scrambling. And when he scrambles, there's a better chance he's going to go short to a guy like Baldwin uh, than he is, you know, to go long to Lockett. So I'm I'm not that high on Lockett. He's in that range for me of, you know, the Galladay's and, you know, Anthony Miller and, you know, John Ross, all those guys. that. So you prefer Godwin to Lockett? Oh, absolutely. I prefer Godwin. Yeah. 
So we talk about these wide receiving cores that fantasy gamers misunderstand, just like various backfields are misunderstood. Which is the most misunderstood wide receiver core in the league? I find these questions so interesting. The Jets would probably be my answer. And I'm someone who is not that high on the Jets, but I think that there's actually some talent at receiver on that team. Robbie Anderson, another guy who, you know, some off-field issues. We don't know if there's going to be a suspension. It would be a short suspension, I believe, but... Wouldn't it have been announced already? I think that it would have. We we never know how these things work. It's so mysterious. The NFL is so weird, man. I Robbie Anderson, though, and Quincy Anunua is another guy who's back healthy. Anunua! It's going to happen, man. Anunua truthers unite. This is the year, man. They're going to be fantasy relevant. And Darnell, you know, as much as Josh McCowan played very well for his skills last year, Darnold just has such a, a much higher ceiling and he could come in and really boost the quarterback play there. And those two are the top guys. Don't be lured into, you know, Terrell Pryor because he's a name. Uh, Jermaine Curse is injured to start the year here, which just puts more onto Anderson and Anunua's plate. I would argue Quincy Anunua is the best value wide receiver in fantasy drafts because he's going so late and it was Keelan Cole for a time. But now it's Quincy Anunua because he has the ability to be the alpha in that receiving core. And it's impossible to find a wide receiver being drafted as late as Anunua that has alpha receiver in his range of outcomes. Because later in drafts, you're looking mostly at slot receivers and field stretchers. And that's fine too, because a lot of fantasy points come out of the slot. More and more and more, the trend is just pointing upward, fantasy points being generated from the slot. Who's the most underrated slot receiver in the league? The most underrated slot receiver is a guy that I think people maybe are getting excited about, but I think it's a guy that people haven't woken up to completely yet. And it's a rookie. It's Anthony Miller in my mind. I I think Miller, you know, sometimes guys come in and they just, they look the part. We talked about it with Godwin before. Miller came in and looked like a five-year veteran in practice. That's right. In, you know, some of his preseason usage, he just came in and he looked the part. He locked down that slot role. I believe it was Warren Sharp in his his excellent preview book that he does who was talking about uh, Mitch Trubisky being more successful throwing over the middle of the field than he is throwing on the outside. And that's where Miller's going to eat. That's where Trey Burton's going to eat. I think Miller's someone that he's a guy that I tried to get on all my dynasty teams. I think as much as I normally don't consider rookies for, you know, breakout candidates normally just because they just got into the league, it kind of feels like it's a different category for them. But I think Miller is a guy who is going to show up early in the season when we don't really know what Allen Robinson's, you know, going to do. He's coming off that injury. We're not totally sure how he's going to fit in that offense. I think we know what Miller's going to do and he's going to work over the middle of the field. Anthony Miller is going to slay. We know this. He absolutely looks the part. We talk about players that have a passion for the game that is unhealthy. They're lopsided. They're susceptible to fraudulent investment schemes because all they do is think about football. They don't think about anything else. They don't want to think about money. They don't want to think about personal relationships. They just want to think about football. And when they're not on the field, they're participating in some other activity that helps them get better. And they're not playing video games. That's Anthony Miller. Shots fired at Paxton Lynch. Yes, that was made clear to us. We brought Alex Dunlap from Roster Watch on this program, who had a firsthand account watching Anthony Miller work at the Senior Bowl. And he said, not only was this the best receiver at the Senior Bowl, he is so clearly a football machine. 
And that's not something we have metrics for. That's not something the analytics would uncover. Anthony Miller has a late breakout age. So it's difficult to rank Anthony Miller among the top three rookie wide receivers with such a late breakout age. But the bottom line is when Anthony Miller is dropped onto a football field, all he does is produce. We talked about the je ne sais quoi for the position. And if there is a receiver in this rookie class that has that it factor, it's Anthony Miller. This was clear in minicamp. When the receiver flashes in minicamp and then flashes in training camp and then flashes in preseason and then rises up the official depth chart, you've seen all you need to see on that player. But my problem is those training camp gifs were also shared across social media. So I don't think Anthony Miller is underrated. I think that it's contrarian to believe that he'll produce more than any other rookie receiver. I think he will, and I think you would agree. I would. But I don't necessarily think he's underrated. He's not as underrated as Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd's not being drafted. And Tyler Boyd could finish number two on the Bengals in target share, a team whose fortunes are set to change more dramatically than any other team in the league. After finishing last in plays called last season, you know the Bengals will be running more plays. The offense will be more efficient. The offensive line's been upgraded. The schedule gets easier. All the external forces that were creating a headwind for the Bengals last year are now generating a tailwind. And give me Tyler Boyd, who is still only 23 years old. I mean, if I told you Tyler Boyd was 23 years old, you wouldn't believe me. It's unbelievable. No one would believe that. But he's 23 years old with a 42% dominator rating and an 18.8 breakout age. And he's available in the final round in every format. He is the most underrated slot receiver in the league. Sometimes I do that to guests. It's basically like playing tic-tac-toe where I just <laughs> take all nine squares and then I hand it to the guest and I say, okay, what do you think about Tyler Boyd? And there's just silence on the other end because it's like, well, I don't, you just. You got it. You nailed it. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. So we're just such wide receiver aholics. We keep ignoring the running backs. Every time we try to talk running back, it just lapses into wide receiver talk. Okay. One more running back question. Just give me the maximum upside running back in the later rounds of drafts. I think he's going undrafted in a lot of leagues, and it's John Kelly. He's another guy that I don't think people have woken up to the fact of what he could become. If Gurley goes down, Kelly is a beast of a runner. The Rams are going to win a lot of games. They've upgraded that defense. We know what McVay has done with the offense. They add Brandon Cooks. That's going to give more room for the running game. I have I will have Kelly as an RB1 if something happens to Gurley. We don't want to see that happen for sure. Gurley is my number one player overall. No, 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 no. I don't like talking about John Kelly and Chase Edmonds just because there's so much at stake with Gurley and with David Johnson. They're also good people. It's different with Ezekiel Elliott where you know he's kind of a scumbag. And I don't feel as bad if I see Rod Smith back there. But David Johnson, Todd Gurley, please... Be safe out there, guys. You know, everybody loves Trey Burton. Are you one of these people? I am. If you couldn't tell from the Anthony Miller uh, answer, I think Trey Burton's going to have a very, very good season. I've been high on him the whole time. I I almost get angry at anyone who dare question the might of Trey Burton this year. Right. The unproven 235-pound move tight end. I think with tight end, we've seen guys show up like this, uh, you know, and he's a guy that's getting compared to to Kelsey quite a bit. 
And I, I understand oh, it. God. I understand it in the, the offense. I think the big thing here is the opportunity he's going to get. They handpicked him to come in and play that Kelsey role. Matt Nagy said as much. And now anyone that was worried about Shaheen siphoning some of that work, Shaheen's on IR. Burton is going to get a lot of work. I know it was one preseason game. It's such a, a small sample size, but we saw him just get peppered with targets from Trubisky. I actually think that there's a chance that that Burton or Miller are going to be the one that leads this team in receiving. Um, and going back to that bold predictions article I mentioned before, I, I predicted that Burton could have a thousand yard season, and that's something that oh only a tight ends are doing. I think the possibility's there. Stop it. You basically think Trey Burton is the next Greg Olson. That's what you're predicting. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a pretty pretty apt comparison. Yeah. What about Jack Doyle? Jack Doyle's going to have to contend with Ebron. I, I'm not so sure that Ebron's not going to be the better fantasy tight end in that offense. Oh, no. We finally found the thing that we disagree about. So my prediction that Jack Doyle outscores Trey Burton is ludicrous. I mean, anything's possible. <laughs> You just hit me with it. Anything's possible. I'm buried. Oh, God. Mom, help. I will not have Doyle ranked above Burton. I don't think at any point this season. Uh, I think Doyle, you know, he's going to get a, a decent amount of targets. I think around the, the red zone, I think Ebron's going to emerge as that guy for them. I think Ebron's going to emerge as potentially the second best receiver on that team behind T.Y. Hilton. <laughs> It hurts. It hurts to hear. I don't want to talk about tight end. No. Quarterbacks. How about that? Who's your favorite late round quarterback? I won't continue on the Bears front, though. I do like Trubisky. I think Trubisky is intriguing. Oh, Jesus. Of course, Trubisky. I, I'm fine at this point in the year with what we know. I'm actually fine with waiting until the very end of the draft and final round grabbing a Tyrod Taylor uh, even and then scooping up Jameis, either grabbing Jameis my last pick or just waiting until week one, see how things pan out week one or week two, and go beat everyone to the punch and get Jameis. Because I think Jameis is going to be fine once he returns from suspension. And everyone's scared off because there were some reports, well, you know, maybe if, you know, the other, if Fitzpatrick performs so well, he'll continue as the starter. That's ridiculous. That's just silly for them to even say. They're, maybe they're trying to light a fire under Jameis here, I guess, make him a little bit worried, make him work that much harder while he's gone from the team during the suspension. But I think any sort of pairing like that where you can get one of those late guys like a Trubisky, like, you know, an Alex Smith or, you know, all these guys are pretty much going undrafted in most leagues, um, you know, unless you're talking about a super flex. But uh, Jameis is going to be fine as your starter once he gets back in that team. So just find somebody like Tyrod who's going to play, you know, well. We've seen Tyrod put up good numbers, top 10 numbers in the past with a worse uh, group of players around him in Buffalo. And now he's got all this talent. Uh, Jarvis Landry, Josh Gordon, everybody's worried about, oh, he's not going to start in week one. He's going to play so much in week one. That is just going to be, he's not going to start at the beginning of the game. And then he's going to come in very quickly after that. He'll be fine. Uh, you know, and Joku's another breakout candidate. Duke Johnson's always getting worked in there. Tyrod's got a lot of weapons to work with. So starting him early in the season, it's not going to last long. That's right. But while it lasts until Baker takes over, Tyrod's going to be intriguing for fantasy. If you're going to wait to the last round to draft a quarterback, be sure to check his week one schedule because you're telling the rest of the league, I'm streaming quarterback. That's what you're doing when you draft a quarterback in the last round. So if you're going to stream a quarterback, you have to check the schedule. You can't draft Derek Carr, who's facing the Rams in week one, with Aaron Donald, Indomitian Sue, Akib Tlaib. You also can't draft Mitchell Trubisky because 
He's going on the road to the Packers, and the Packers have upgraded their secondary unlike any other team. We talked about how the Lions have upgraded their offensive line more than any other team. Well, the Packers, all they do is push the button on freakish, size-adjusted athletes at the cornerback position. So I think that the Green Bay Packers are going to surprise a lot of people with an exceptional pass defense. And for that reason, I don't want Mitchell Trubisky on the road against the team with the most improved pass defense. You can't draft Patrick Mahomes. He's going to be traveling to Los Angeles to face the Chargers. I think we all know that's a bad idea. So when you go down this list, can't draft Eli Manning. He's facing the Jaguars. Keep going down the list. Who's left? Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota faces the Dolphins in week one. He, like Andy Dalton, will have a situational tailwind propelling him this year, whereas last year he faced a difficult schedule with an underperforming offensive line. The offensive line will be better. The schedule is easier. The supporting weaponry is improved. You draft Marcus Mariota, and if he breaks out against the Dolphins, rushes for a touchdown, goes over 300 yards, shows the world that he is the elite quarterback that we've been touting him to be, well, then you have your starter for the rest of the season. You're streaming week one in hopes you find your starter. That's the strategy. That's why you go Marcus Mariota, Tyrod Taylor, Matt Ryan. Because Matt Ryan has five of his first seven games to start the season at home, and they open with the Eagles, who allowed over 500 yards to Tom Brady the last time they played a game. And in DFS, the best play is Andy Dalton, because he's going to Indianapolis, and he's the least expensive of all these guys. Amen on that one. I mean, we talked about it earlier with the Bengals that, you know, overall, that's a much improved offense. You know, I believe Cordy Glenn's healthy. I know he got a bit of a shoulder injury in one of the preseason games. Overall, though, that team is looking much, much better. We predicted that when the line issues happened last year, it was going to crater that offense. Well, guess what? The weapons are emerging. The line looks better. John Ross has a chance to break out. You mentioned Boyd earlier. There's a lot of things working in Dalton's favor, and maybe the biggest is that he gets the Colts in week one, which projects to be one of the worst defenses in the league. I'm not saying Tyler Boyd in cash. I'm not saying Tyler Boyd in cash. I would never say Tyler Boyd in cash. Tyler Boyd in cash. And John Ross and GPPs! Just stack your bangles, baby! So my last draft, my last expert draft, I went commando zero RB. I drafted four wide receivers, and then running backs and wide receivers until the draft expired. Didn't draft a tight end, didn't draft a quarterback, didn't draft a defense, didn't draft a kicker. And I love my team. I love my team because I started DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, and Chris Hogan. How'd I do? That's a fantastic start. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. And I mentioned the other running backs that I drafted earlier, Marshawn Lynch, et cetera, et cetera. James Conner. I mean, it's an amazing team. So did you go zero RB at all this year? Shockingly, I did not anywhere. Uh, I used to I used to work for the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. And in the league up there, we played at a half point PPR league. And I used to go zero RB all the time. And it constantly worked out for me. I love that approach. Now, though, this year, I really have to come away with one running back. I don't mind waiting to fill in that second RB spot. Because like you mentioned, there are so many guys out there that you can take chances on. And in general, my approach is to fill my bench with those upside running backs and hope that one of them hits. That's how you end up with a Matt Breda. Uh, But this year, I I can't come away confident from those first rounds if I don't get at least one running back. 
And no matter where you're picking, uh, you know, if you're early in the first round, it's very likely you're going to have to take one of those running backs. So you're going to end up in a good position there. And there's a lot of value, I think, in the late first round, second round for running backs. And you look at guys like Fournette, Hunt, Gordon, uh, Devonta Freeman, you know, Dalvin Cook. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's so many guys there. So I, I tend to end up with at least one of them in the first two rounds. Uh, if not, then I have to go and grab, uh, you know, Ajayi or Lamar Miller or, you know, Colin, someone in the third round that one of those guys that I feel like I can be confident in as well. But no, I, I don't feel great about going zero RB this year. And I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I only felt confident knowing I could get Peyton Barber. Peyton Barber was the keystone of my strategy. Knowing I could draft Peyton Barber as my third running back, I was much more comfortable executing zero RB. We talked about the idea of drafting both John Ross and Tyler Boyd. Is that a scenario where you would stack wide receivers and redraft? In redraft? No. You don't stack wide receivers? I don't think that's an approach that I would take uh, almost ever. There's very, very few guys that I, I would look to uh, to be in that position where I think that that could return value for you. So you wouldn't stack Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller? You would just go with Anthony Miller? I would take the I would take the value later and try to find somebody in the earlier rounds where Robinson's going that I'm more confident in. I, I want to feel good about those first three or four picks. Depending how the first three work out, maybe I'll take some chances in the fourth round on someone like a Josh Gordon. But normally in those first four picks, I want to take guys that I really feel I'm excited to have them as the core of my team for the year. I'm sure you got the news that Jeff Janis has been released (laughs) and not picked up by any other NFL teams. This is devastating for me personally, and I am dropping Jeff Janis across all my Dynasty League teams. He's gone. I can't believe I jettisoned Jeff Janis, but I finally did it. I feel good holding on to him for as long as I did. I likely missed out on a young player or two that could be helping my team now by rostering Jeff Janis all these years. I'm sure it. the carrying cost on Jeff Janis has been a burden, but because I love the man, I was happy to do it. And I've pivoted. My new truther crush is Austin Carr because Austin Carr made the team. That's all you need to do, man. We talked about this with Wendell Smallwood. Austin Carr is on the Saints. So making the Saints... 53-man roster is a very, very, very big deal. And Austin Carr checks those same boxes that Tyler Boyd checks. I mean, he's not the most underrated slot receiver in the league because he's not going to be on the field. But if there is an injury to Ted Ginn, Cameron Meredith, Traquan Smith, any or all of the above, Austin Carr becomes intriguing. 46.8% dominator rating, 92nd in the NFL. The entire Northwestern Big Ten offense, I have to say Big Ten just to remind people Northwestern's in the Big Ten, revolved around getting the ball to Austin Carr. And he has a 1077 93rd percentile agility score. So if you were building the prototypical NFL slot receiver, it would be Austin Carr because the prototypical NFL slot receiver is 200 pounds, like Taewon Taylor. That's the modern slot receiver prototype, and that's Austin Carr. And if you put Austin Carr on the field with Drew Brees for heavy snaps, he's going to deliver copious fantasy points. Do you agree? We're getting pretty deep down the rankings, I think, at that point. There's a lot of other guys with the Saints that I would go for. But I think the logic there is is smart, and that's investing in a high-volume passing game. I know that it took a slight step back last year. They ran more. But especially with Ingram out early, I think they're going to throw a lot. And that's what you should be doing, whether it's the Patriots or the Packers or the Saints. Those are the teams that you should be investing in if you're looking deep down your roster in deep leagues and dynasty leagues and whatnot. 
Yeah, and good players on those rosters. You don't roster Trevor Davis. He'll never be a thing. He was never good. Aaron Rodgers can't wave a wand and make Trevor Davis good. But Austin Carr is good. And if he can somehow seize a role in this Saints offense, he will be great. Who do you qualify for truth or status on? You got to go deep. You got to go deep, Justin. I would invest in one of those Packers guys and one of the rookies. And I think the guy for me would be Marquez Valdez-Scantling. We saw when he got on the field, he had the speed. That's that's something that could really help that offense if they get him on the field. We don't know what the situation is with Randall Cobb. There's been all these sort of weird reports about that, that he's on the trade block. He he made the team. We've seen injuries happen with him in the past. Uh, that could be a problem. You know, he's getting a little older. He might be a guy that's getting to that point where he's kind of washed as well. Um, and like you mentioned, they talked, there's been reports that, you know, Trevor Davis was on the trade block, uh, you know, uh, Jake Kumar, uh, Kumaro was put on IR. Uh, I like Scantling the best out of those rookies that they had, and I think he could end up joining that, that starting roster sooner than maybe we think. If you're in a very deep seasonal league, Scantling's actually a guy to roster. It's crazy, but it's true. You want to chase explosive receivers on prolific offenses. It's easy, simple. Now, get you out here on this. I need a very bold prediction. Very, 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 very bold. Make it bold. All right, you tell me if this qualifies, and I'm happy to say it now based on the conversation we had earlier. I predicted a bold prediction recently. That Eric Ebron will be a top five fantasy tight end this year. Do I have to go higher than that to make it as bold as you want? Is it that upsetting for you? I think top five is possible. I think he's a guy who could have double digit touchdowns in that offense. And it's going back to the fact that I'm not that confident in the other guys in that receiving core outside of T.Y. Hilton. Do you really think, you know, Ryan Grant, you know, these guys, I don't know that these guys are going to be able to step up. And we also don't know if Andrew Luck can throw the ball down the field anymore. Ebron was very underrated as a fantasy player when he was with the Lions. I think they brought him in for a reason. I think they plan on using him, even though it doesn't seem like everyone has caught on to that. Caught a touchdown in the preseason. He's going to be a guy, and we've seen it before with tight ends. If you get a big touchdown total, think Jimmy Graham last year. You can move way up the tight end fantasy rankings. Oh, my God. That's all he needs. I'm not suggesting he's going to go out and have eight, 900 yards. But I think he's going to have eight, nine, ten touchdowns, and that's going to make him usable, a weekly fantasy starter. Justin Boone, you are killing me. Justin Boone, you are killing me. <laughs> That's the show. Woof. All right. I exhausted myself with all those varies. That's awesome. That was fun, man. Like, <laughs> what? I'm pushing the button right now. Nothing's happening. Amara Darbo 
If you can convince an employer to carve out a fantasy-only role, you've won. If you are just a sports writer or a sports analyst, you have to write like human interest stories. Some people just don't enjoy that. I do, I go out of my way, and what makes me different is that I run headfirst into the Kaepernick stories, which is not normal. But most people would just rather sidestep that stuff. You could just only focus on the fun in fantasy. That's what's cool. Much worse is when you get those really bad legal stories you know, whether it's LaShawn McCoy or, you know, I don't want to go all the way back. You have the Greg Hardy story, throwing his girlfriend on a bed of guns. Uncomfortable, unsettling stories because it's an uncomfortable, unsettling sport. It's like if you were covering the gladiators in Rome, behind the scenes, off the field, right? <laughs> There's a lot of uncomfortable stuff. It's an unseemly business. And... Most sports reporters have to delve into all of those areas. They can't just focus on fantasy points, <laughs> right? It's not as fun. I've expected that I would get a lot more blowback. I don't know if you've experienced any of that, but I get the odd person who gets mad at me for, you know, giving them the wrong take or something. But I've been very fortunate. People seem to be really nice on Twitter and stuff. So this is a good time. They've been trained. Five years ago, the percentage of fantasy Twitter that was just wild animals trying to scratch people's eyes out was much higher. Much higher. They've been trained. There's been enough lion tamers with whips training the ultra-aggressive sports fan. Just relax, man. It's fantasy football. It's a game on top of another game. It's not serious. There's a few hundred bucks at stake, maybe. Like, just relax. It's fun. Like, just relax. It's fun. I got one the other day. Someone was giving me a hard time for having Justin Tucker ranked third in my kicker rankings. That was one of the craziest I've ever seen. I was laughing so hard. Like, who? first of all, like, you're going to give me a hard time for kicker rankings at, at this point in the year, at any point in the year? Like, just kill kickers from your league. What are you doing? And now we need them. I need these people because... They're so mockable, and the community now has been so trained to mock these people that take sports too seriously. I mean, it's all happened in the last five years. The sporting audience took sports a lot more seriously and fantasy sports a lot more seriously five years ago. The winding down of the self-seriousness has been a process, but we're finally here, and I get very few buzzard tweets any longer. It's crazy. I used to get buzzard tweets and buzzard emails when my audience was a lot smaller. So as my audience has grown almost exponentially, the amount of trolling that I'm experiencing has gone down significantly. And I'm trying to tell people this, that, that social media is getting better and everyone rolls their eyes at me. They roll their eyes. I'm like, I'm on the front lines, man. I'm on Twitter all the time, right? You're on Instagram every other day. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Social media is improving. We as a collective are getting better at using social media productively and constructively. Like it or not, you know, you can bemoan it all you want, but you're wrong. It's trending in a positive direction. Well, it's, see, there's like a vocal minority, right? Like there's a vocal amount of people that are really bad, that really are just, that make it seem worse than maybe it is as a whole. It absolutely is. I mean, I'm experiencing it all the time. I also give some credit to Donald Trump. He smoked these people out. <laughs> like, he smoked them out of their caves. He inspired them to rip their mask off and to tweet for the first time, not just listen and read, but to actually wander out into the Twitter sphere and put their thoughts and takes 
on paper and let the community decide. And they were faced with a wall of thumbs downs. And that forced a lot of people to look in the mirror. Because when they're living in their community and everyone in their circle, you know, has a particular perspective, shared sensibilities, they go off in social media and a tweet is exposed to 10,000 people. Suddenly they realize where they stand in society for the first time. That, that's why traveling is so important, right? Especially at like a young age and getting to experience so many different cultures. If you just stay in that town that you've always been from, and it's sometimes you don't have a great perspective on the world because you're only seeing it through that one lens. I talked to Denny Carter about this. I've talked to a lot of individuals, IRL, about social media. And the consensus is that it's bad and that we're worried about the young people on social media. And I'm telling you, we've plowed the ground already. They're just going to enjoy the fruits of what we've plowed. It'll be a bountiful harvest for the young people, for the seven-year-olds who wander over to social media. The Wild West has been paved. It's no longer wild anymore. I remember 2011. It was crazy. I had a show. I had someone complain that I, I, I delayed. A, I had went to Block Island with my family, so I waited a few days. And then uh, there was a reference to Corey Coleman and whether he would stick on the roster. We said he probably won't because the Bills are incompetent. But he had already been cut by the time the show dropped. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Justin. That's crazy. This isn't live. Oh, the podcast isn't live. They didn't know about this Corey Coleman injury when they recorded. This podcast worthless. And they took Corey Coleman in, like, the third round of their fantasy draft? Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, oh yes, yes. You, your fantasy team is now crippled with the Corey Coleman pick, who we predicted would not make the fucking roster. <laughs> Full disclosure, I'm a Bills fan, too, so not, not that that hurts. I'm a... You're a rational Bills fan. You know they're headed in the wrong direction. You're miserable, as you should be. You get it. It was nice that they got the, the monkey off their back last year with the playoffs, but that was not part of the plan last year. They were supposed to be bad last year, too. <laughs> they fucked themselves by making the playoffs. Yep. Awful, awful, awful receiver room when there are receivers available every offseason that are values. And to just not take shots at any of them, it's stupefying. And the, the line is just going to cripple them this year. To trade Cordy Glenn, I mean, Incognito went off the rails, but, you know, he's gone. Eric Wood, that, that whole left side of the line was like the strength of their offense, and now it's all gone. You can't trade with the Bengals, okay? You cannot trade with a team that doesn't spend money. You know right away if you're trading with the Bengals, you're on the wrong side of that deal. You want to trade with teams that spend a lot of money. You want to trade with teams that are willing to overspend. That's how you trade in the NFL. If the Bengals call, you don't call them back because they are so frugal and they're getting a deal if they do a trade with you. You know it. So just don't do it. It's going to get darker before the dawn in Buffalo. I think we all know that. Well, no, we don't. Bill's Mafia doesn't know that. I thought that they should have just forget quarterback this year. Keep all those picks. Load up on defense. Load up everywhere else. You're going to be bad anyway. Start McCarron or whoever. And then next year, let's go get the quarterback when you have a high pick. Start Peterman. I said start Peterman and have McCarron back him up. It's a perfect backup for Peterman is McCarron. Let him play. See if he's any good. He was actually good at Pittsburgh, by the way. And the reason why they inserted him last year is because he was great in practice as a rookie. So these are all positive things. Let him continue to marinate. 
And then it just so happened that in the second round, you had Harold Landry, you had Josh Jackson, you had first rounders available in the second round. You could rebuild the offensive line with all those excellent guards. They have a lot of needs. If you have a lot of needs, why the fuck are you trading up? The only teams that should ever trade up are those that were in the divisional championship round last year. The Vikings should happily trade up. The Eagles, the Patriots, the Steelers. Those are the teams that should be trading up. But here's the paradox. The whole reason they're in that situation in the first place is because they never trade up! <laughs> it's alright. We're just going to make me real sad talking about the Bills here before we even start. <laughs> Three of the last five guests have been Bills fans. And all we do is just we spiral talking about the Bills because it's dissecting the Titanic, right? There's so many documentaries on the Titanic. Why? It's just an intellectual curiosity of how the hell that happened. So, I mean, I can't, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'll bring you on. I am Canadian. Tend to not mention that normally when I'm talking on Twitter and stuff. I just don't want the American fans to maybe, uh, you know, blame Canada South Park style, but... Pat Mayo's Canadian. Yeah, no, we got it. There's a few of us, yeah. I've been to Niagara Falls for a conference. I was hammered. No doubt. So many fantasy analysts think that Kyle Shanahan is out there blocking people. That's not how professional sports work. He's on the team. Kenny Britt is not on the team. Above average quarterback play since Ben Wallace. Since Ben Roethlisberger. Think about that. I can't believe I just said Ben Wallace. That's crazy. Former Piston Ben Wallace. Ben Roethlisberger. Yes! Yes, Justin! Yes! Yes! Say it! Say it! I want you to say it! Say the personnel package! <laughs> they are going to play 12 personnel a lot. Well, and it's also going to be pretty tough when they go against the Ravens, the Chargers, and the Vikings, their first three games of the year. I love how the Bills think of Josh Allen as Russell Crowe and Gladiator, and Nathan Peterman is just the first guy out of the tunnel that runs right into a lion. Welcome back to the NFL, Nathan Peterman. <laughs> this poor guy. Well, I don't want to have him in the same sentence as Ronald Jones here. We're not talking about that level of disappointment. He has nowhere to go. That is very high praise. Perhaps too high praise. Well, who's this Keelan Cole guy? Oh, he's the next man up. I need to learn more about him. Let me type in playerprofiler.com. Don't do it. Don't make me quit him. He ripped his face off. And it's like, oh, there's Alex Smith. Oh, how did he do that? But in Washington, it's now Alex Smith with his own face. That is very high praise. Perhaps too high praise. It's an amazing team. Godwin is going to outscore Mike Evans this year. That was the prediction. Stop it! I would never say Tyler Boyd and Cash. Tyler Boyd and Cash. And John Ross and GPPs! Just stack your bangles, baby! find these questions so interesting. Anyone could have scored a touchdown on that play. Shots fired at Paxton Lynch. Inunwa! It's going to happen, man. Inunwa truthers unite! You got it. You nailed it. You just hit me with an anything's possible. I'm buried. Oh, God. Shots fired at Paxton Lynch. Please. Be safe out there, guys. You got it. You nailed it. In the nuclear weapons silos that they still have 1970s computers because they're more reliable and less prone to bugs. 
that's how I feel about Skype Recorder. Skype is always reliable, it doesn't fail me, and the audio is always clean. Shots fired at Paxton Lynch. Podcast just came out 10 years ago, and now I feel old? I mean, fuck you. In Washington, it's now Alex Smith with his own face.